How's it going, everybody? This is the Nitty Gritty. My name is Chad. With me is Leonard. This is a show about wrestling, and we are bringing you another one of our random match reviews. And this match was selected because of Chief J. Strongbow. And Leonard and I were talking on a previous show that neither of us really remembered if we had seen a full Chief J. Strongbow match. So um, that is why I sent him this particular match which is Chief J Strongbow versus Greg the Hammer Valentine, August 18th, 1979 from the Philadelphia Spectrum, an Indian strap match. And Leonard, before um, we get into the match itself, I kind of went down a rabbit hole when I watched this match. I watched this match, and then I watched a match uh, against from with Greg Valentine against Wahoo McDaniel um, that happened before this. And I watched the clip of Greg Valentine breaking Chief J. Strongbow's leg. That clip exists uh, on YouTube as well. And that's what happens that kind of leads to this Indian strap match. Um, so, mm-hmm. Leonard, any uh, quick pre-comments you have? Well, when you sent me this match, again, we talked about not knowing a whole lot about Jay Strombo, but when you sent me this match, I went, oh, yeah, he did have a feud with Valentine. Like, that seems to be, like, the one thing that I went, oh, yes, this was something he was known for, was this feud with Valentine. And I believe it was Wahoo's leg that Valentine broke, because I think he had a T-shirt that said, I broke Wahoo's leg. So, it was uh, both, actually. He uh, broke, So, they did the same, the same exact angle with Wahoo, they did it with Jay Strongbow. Yes, and that's what I was going to get okay. to at the end, and that's why I that's why I went and watched the Wahoo McDaniel match because I was like, mm-hmm. I remember the shirt, you know that you know I broke Wahoo's leg, and I was like, did they just do basically the same angle? <laughs> and they kind of did. Um, you know, I don't know if there was an Indian if there was a strap match between Wahoo McDaniel and Greg Valentine. I know they would have a big rivalry. That was a big rivalry in Mid Atlantic, yeah. um, but they, uh, you know, Chief J Strongbow. Um, was different as an in-ring talent than was Wahoo McDaniel. Um, I definitely noticed that in comparing the two matches. Um, So let's get into this match, though. Um, This video is is not long. Um, You know, by the time they get in the ring, the match is like, I think, under 10 minutes. Wouldn't you say, Leonard? Yeah, I forget how long the exact... uh... The whole video is, yes, but the match itself isn't that that long. And most of it is... Like the first quarter is them trying to get Valentine hooked up. You know, he's doing yeah. the classic heel shtick of not wanting to put his arm in in the strap, and he's attacking Strongbow before he gets hooked up and doing all that. And I thought it was actually pretty inventive uh, how Strongbow grabs Valentine and kind of holds him against the ropes so the referee can hook him up. I like yeah. that spot. Yeah, the ref applies the strap while Strongbow is being is choking Valentine on the ropes, <laughs> which is great. Um, you know, it kind of starts out with Strongbow dancing and jogging around the ring, kind of showing that his knee uh, or his leg is getting better. Uh, Valentine's mm-hmm. leery of getting in the ring initially, but, you know, eventually he does, and he goes after Valentine. The ref applies the strap, as I said. Um, it starts with some kicks by Strongbow. Valentine keeps trying to roll away with the strap on, but he can't. Um, there's a tie-up where eventually Valentine gets the upper hand. Um, Strongbow tries to fight back. Um, there was an inventive spot, I think, where Valentine tries to shorten 
the distance between them by kind of wrapping the strap around the ropes. Um, yeah, that was a, that was a good spot. Yeah, there's a clothesline with uh, the strap by Strongbow and some lashes, which is always what gets the pop from the crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, Valentine works on the leg of Strongbow. Eventually, you know, pretty quickly, Strongbow is busted open, and you know, Strongbow tries to fight back, but Valentine kind of keeps on the leg. Mm-hmm. Valentine would try to tr- take the knee brace off. And I guess a metal piece from that brace would break off, which becomes a weapon in the ring. Uh, I love that spot as well, too. I don't know if I've ever seen that before. Um, I don't know if that was that had to have been planned. If not, that is some great improvisational work by Valentine to use that. Yeah, no, I I agree that it was very uh, inventive, kind of felt in the moment. Um, And after that happens, like they kind of start to brawl outside the ring. And in one of the only times I've seen this Leonard, there was a, a stool shot, (laughs) like a shot with a, like a wooden bar stool. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Uh, And then I think the other guy uh, had a wooden chair as well, um, which, you know, like, Steel chairs are steel chairs, but a wooden stool, man, that, you know, that connects with your head. That's going to hurt. Um, and it kind of ends in the uh, rare DQ and double countout. <laughs> yeah, it was a double DQ, double countout, which I thought was a crappy finish for a strap match. I mean, how do you yeah. do that in a strap match? Yeah. But no. I guess those, those other rules are still being enforced. So um, I thought it was a really weak ending for that reason, uh, even though I thought it started at a pretty high level. It got more brutal and intense as it went. I loved the use of the leg brace metal. Uh, I didn't, in my notes, I forgot to give it a star rating, but that ending really drops it for me. I, I would maybe go, I had fun with it. I would go under three, maybe two and a half stars. Yeah, for, I, I would probably match. go two and a half, two and three quarters. Um, the match itself, like, I would say based on cheap, like kind of rating Chiefs Chase Strongbow, like his work in the ring is pretty limited. You know, this is a brawl, mm-hmm. but he, he can only do so much in the ring. And I'm sure maybe he was a little bit better when he was younger. Uh, but this match didn't really, you know, prompt me to want to go check out a ton of Chief J Strongbow matches. No, anything, no. I watched I was- like the Wahoo match. That one prompted me to want to watch more of that rivalry because that yeah. was much more physical and much more intense. Yeah. And I will say this, the crowd was hot. Like they love Strongbow. Oh the yeah. Crowd was very, very, very hot, very hot for him. So, uh, yeah. And I would be, see, Wahoo's another guy that I didn't see till the end of his career. And again, I've heard very good things about him earlier on. Yeah. And, uh, you know, my family always mentioned Chief J Strongbow when I was really little. Um, so he mm. was, you know, definitely a, a popular, a popular character. Um, so yeah, this was an interesting match to see. Greg Valentine had some classics when he was younger, man. A lot of people don't remember mm-hmm. much about Valentine except for the you know rock and wrestling and onward era. But mm-hmm. Valentine had a lot the of dog collar match. Dog collar match with Piper is a must see from yep. from Starcade '83. Uh, again, the, the feud with uh, uh, Wahoo. Uh, yeah, I mean Valentine, and I was a big fan of the course of Valentine Garvin feud. Yeah. Um, in, in the WWF, which yeah. seemed like it was on its own island. 
at the time yeah. when everything yeah. else everything else was going <laughs> on. So yeah, I mean, yeah, don't sleep on Valentine. I think he's pretty underrated to today, but he was a heck of a worker. Yeah, no, I I agree. Um, so yeah, go check out the Wahoo Greg Valentine feud. You know, if you want to check this one out, let me know. Let us know what you think of it. And if you've already seen the match and have memories of it, please uh, do do share those with us as well. How's it going, everybody? This is the Nitty Gritty. My name is Chad. With me, as usual, is Leonard. This is a show about wrestling, and we are bringing you another edition of our random match reviews. Normally, we do one match at a time. The last time and this time, we are doing two matches in one, uh, primarily because it seems to be the only two meetings between the two pairs of wrestlers that we're discussing. So, this Or at least that were recorded at some point that we can find. That's correct, yes. Yeah. So to elaborate on that, uh, the two wrestlers that we're going to be talking about today met several times over the years, uh, but only two videos exist that I was able to see um, and that I was able to send to Leonard. So, And what was a fan cam? That's true. Yeah, with no commentary. We'll get there. Uh, before we get there, though, I'm a man of my word, Leonard, and I have the... Uh, the t-shirt saturday on. right fever yes that is stand up show the people yeah it's so uh, as longtime listeners may know chad made a bet that i could pick any wrestling shirt that he would buy and wear on the program if cm punk returned to wwe and not just for like a hall of fame induction right so that happened a lot quicker than both of us thought and right. that shirt is actually from wrestling bios on youtube a plug for him. I watch his stuff all the time. He's doing a great series right now called Reliving the War, where he's reviewing every single episode of Nitro and Raw during the Monday Night Wars each week, and then he's doing the pay-per-views as well. And um, he's a Saturday, he's a uh, Alex Wright fan, so Saturday Wright Fever is comes from something that that he did on the program, and then uh, there's also. Uh, he has a Wiggles shirt that looks like a Pringles can for Norman Smiley, and he has a cat for Brett. He has a shirt for Bret Hart's cat, Smokey. Right. Well, you know, I I actually like Alex Wright a lot. Um, I don't like his gimmick nor the dancing, but uh, I do like yeah. Alex Wright. So I'm 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 happy to sport this shirt, and it is a very comfortable shirt, Leonard. I will say that. For wrestling bios out there, I need to check out some of his stuff. Uh, but the shirt seems to be pretty good quality. So good, good. I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that. And one thing he does do is if people send him pictures of them wearing the shirt, like at oh. wrestling shows or whatever, he will post those, and you get to be the jam up guy of the week. So all right. Well, maybe I'll have to uh, have to post a picture then. Yeah. So, yeah. So next. So next time you go to a wrestling show, or just with your wrestling stuff around you, send him a send him a picture. Yeah. And tell him the story. One of these days, I'm going to have to have a, Leonard and I have to make a bet that, you know, I win and Leonard loses. And maybe Leonard will have to uh, buy a shirt or something. But, I tell you what, next time we go to a wrestling show together, if we do that again, you wear the Alex Wright shirt and I'll wear the Beaver Cleavage shirt. Okay. Sounds good. Mm -hmm. uh, all right. Well, back to our uh, main topic, which is random match reviews. And we are going to be discussing. Jesse the Body Ventura versus Hulk Hogan. So, just a little bit of background. Um, you know, both guys got their start around the same time, give or take a couple years. 
So Jesse Ventura made his debut in 1975 um, under Don Owen, and then eventually in the late 70s moved to the AWA um, because he's from that area. You know, obviously, you know, anybody that has researched Jesse Ventura knows about his military background and and all that. Um, so he uh, was initially Jesse the Great Ventura, then became Jesse the Body Ventura, um, the Ventura, you know, wanting to portray a beach blonde from uh, Ventura Beach. And in the same time, 1977, Hogan was training under Hiro Matsuda in Florida. Uh, the Briscoe brothers then made his debut happen. Um, so, and Hogan is a, you know, blonde who would eventually, you know, say he was from Venice Beach. So there are some similarities slash parallels in their mm -hmm. career. Uh, and they both wanted to be Billy Graham. Exactly. They both, yeah, they both were clearly inspired by superstar Billy Graham. And uh, so the reason why we're highlighting these two wrestlers against each other is, you know, famously because they don't like each other very much. Um, as Jesse tells the story, he wanted to, you know, he supported a union with wrestlers. And according to him, he was, you know, kind of somebody ratted out to Vince McMahon that he was trying to organize this, you know, it, I guess came to pass or he, you know, narrowed down that it was Hogan. That was the person that did it. Um, so he's kind of held a grudge ever since then. I think Hogan has spoken about Jesse Ventura a few times. It's never been favorable. <laughs> you know, these guys don't get along. And even when Jesse was doing commentary, uh, during his WWF, you know, peak commentary years, he was always very vocally against Hogan and would always kind of tease to come out of retirement to face Hogan, uh, that kind of thing, because these guys were scheduled to have a really big feud. Uh, but unfortunately, Jesse had some clots uh, throughout his body that caused him to have to retire very suddenly uh clots that he i guess blamed on agent orange from his time in vietnam um so yeah jesse's career kind of came to an end but it was kind of spotty there in the uh in the you know early to mid 80s um he would wrestle until 1984 and he would have apparently three back-to-back-to-back -back -to -back losses against hulk hogan and then the uh, blood clots in his lungs would end his career. He would return to the ring in 1985 and apparently formed a tag team with Randy Savage. Uh, but, you know, that is kind of all the details we have about his the end of his career. So we're going to be covering two matches. One of them occurs in AWA and the other one occurs in WWF. So... Let's get to the first match, and that would occur on December 25th, 1982. I was not even six months old, Leonard. Uh, I would, December, I would have been almost three. Okay. My birthday's in January, so I was a couple of weeks away from being three. All right. Well, this one occurred in St. Paul, Minnesota. There's a little pre-match uh, promo with uh, Jesse, uh, you know, it's a pretty basic promo, but Jesse's good on the mic. You know, obviously he's good on the mic. We know that. Uh, 
Hogan's entrance music here is noteworthy uh, because it's Eye of the Tiger. This was during the era where he was coming off of the success of being in the Rocky movie, yeah. Rocky Three, And uh, so Eye of the Tiger was his theme music. Um, and just a little bit of, about the match itself. We won't go blow by blow, but there's a lot of Jesse Ventura escaping things. A lot of pretty vintage heel tactics going on. Um, there's some, you know, punches and shoulder work by uh, Hogan. The crowd is very hot for Hogan, despite the fact that this is a very slow match. Uh, we do see something that looks like the precursor to a Hulk up. <laughs> uh, there's uh, a bear hug. There's a little bit more shoulder work. Uh, there's a brawl outside and a chair shot attempt, and uh, they refer to the shoulder injury on Hogan because of uh, apparently an arm wrestling uh, segment involving Ventura and Ken Patera. So this match ends in, is basically a schmoz, but what did you think of this first match, Leonard? Okay, first of all, I did the math wrong. I would have been four in January of 83. So I would have been almost four at this time. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a writer. I'm not good at math. Um, yes. Um, you know, I, I, I like this all right, especially if you compare it to the next match we're going to talk about. it. But I, it seemed to be sort of almost the prototype of the Hogan formula. Right. From the WWF, but it felt a little more realistic here. The prototype Hulk up you mentioned felt a little more realistic. Hogan's selling was a little more realistic. Right. Even though I thought the middle part of the match was boring, I still liked the arm work by Ventura. I liked yeah. the fact that they did that. And the commentator, who I believe is Ron Trongard, um, he, him, him mentioning, hey, Hogan had his arm hurt. That's why Jesse's going after that. That's what a commentator, you know, should do. And, and he did that well. So, um, you know, I thought the end kind of came out of, of nowhere. I think they could have maybe fought a little bit more or, or or done something. It just felt like, okay, now's the time where we go outside and we end it. But but other than that, I, I really liked the work that they put in here. Um Again, after I watched the second match, which we'll talk about here in a second, I appreciate this match, I think, just a little bit more. I wound up giving it two and three quarters, just under three stars. Uh, and one last thing I do want to mention is that at the very beginning of the match, uh, the, the commentator, uh, uh, who, I, again, I believe is Trongard, says that Jesse wants to be called Mr. V, a playoff of Mr. T. Mr. V, right? Yeah. V. As yes, yes, or v, Mr. V. I thought he was saying Mr. The, as in he is the body, not T. But maybe it was. You no, know that's v. interesting. The audio is weird. I wrote down Mr. V, and then mm -hmm. as we were going over it, I forgot why I wrote that down. I was like, "What the hell is that there for?" In my notes. Yeah, he. he I, I thought v. it was Mr. V, but it could be Mr. The. That seems, you know, either or. Yeah, either either or. It's kind of it's kind of hard to tell. And I also noticed how he called. Uh, Hogan, the incredible Hulk Hogan a lot, which was an early nickname for yes. him. Yep. Uh, and I believe it was Vince who wanted to phase that out because of the incredible Hulk. I think there was a deal at one time or some sort of verbal agreement uh, between Hogan and Marvel that he could use the incredible nickname. 
but I, I bet you it was Vince wanting to to phase that out because I don't ever remember him going by that uh, in the uh, WWF. Yeah, I mean, if they did announce him as that, it wasn't for very long, and maybe it was his first stint in WWF. Um, but yes, um, and they, he didn't they, use I the Tiger for long either right. when he got to because again, Vince didn't want to pay the rights. Right. Um, did this match end in a disqualification or a countout? I forget. I let me double check my notes again. They brawl outside, leading to a no contest. No contest. That's why I didn't remember. It. Um, yeah, yeah. I believe I, be, I believe Tron Guard does say it's a no contest. Yeah. So the, like, I, agree with, I agree with you. The shoulder work was pretty good. The fact that um, it referred to an earlier segment um, made sense and that kind of added some weight to the match. Uh, the match itself, though, is dull. So I'd probably go two and a half stars for me. I'm not too far off from where you were. Um, so, they unfortunately, in Wikipedia, the matches that they referred to where it was like a three title shots for Ventura, I don't know that any of those are around. The one that I have that we found next is, uh, you know, fan cam footage um, from April 20th, 1985 in Bloomington, Minnesota. Um, and it was probably you know, one of those situations where, Hey, we're in Minnesota, Jesse, do you think you could, you know, tough it out for one match? You know, you'll, you'll get a reaction because we're in your area, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, and there was, it's hard to hear, but I, I would say that there is somewhat of a mixed reaction for, for him. It's not just booze, but, uh, obviously it's crowd is very pro Hogan, um, mm -hmm. should be expected, but, um, this match is uh, a little bit longer, um, and it starts with Hogan. You know, again, we're in Minnesota, and I, I'm sure you wrote this down too, Leonard. Hogan initially is doing a ton of heel stuff here. Yeah, well, he always, he always did, he but always, it was very overpronounced here. Yes, it was egregious here. Um, he's doing so a lot punching, scratching, biting. There's an atomic drop. He throws Jesse out of the ring. Um there's a, you know, he smashes his head into a table. Um, there's an eye rake. <laughs> so if you're keeping score, like Hogan does all of the, you know, cheap shot stuff here early on. Yeah. Uh, Jesse then gets on the offense and, you know, there's a kick, punch, and eye rake from him. Um, they do some work in the turnbuckle. And Jesse does the thing where he calls a timeout. And... There's the old handshake offering into the attack situation, followed by a clothesline. Um, Jesse fights back. There's a foot choke. He, um, I believe, kicks Hogan to the back outside the ring and into the railing. And that uh, goes on to have, uh, there's a throat chop. Uh, another more outside of the ring brawling between the two. A body slam by Jesse. Um, he's, uh, jarring with the referee a lot towards the end of this match. And, uh, there's an elbow to the back of the neck. Ventura is pushed into the post and, um, kind of outside the ring. And the match ends <laughs> when Mean Gene grabs the leg of Jesse Ventura, causing him to, I assume, be counted out. And I uh, look to me, that's how the match ended, Leonard. Yeah, that's how why I have in my notes that Hogan wins by countout. And I'm guessing Gene was outside with Hogan because, again, he had come from the AWA as well. So the Minnesota crowd 
definitely knew Oakland, knew Ventura, knew Hogan. And I have no idea who the guy and the two women were with Ventura. One person is Precious because they say the name Precious. Okay. But I have no idea who the man is. I was going to ask you because, and I was trying to figure it out. I have no idea who that is. I have no idea either. At first, I thought it was David Schultz because of the hair, but the guy's too big to be David Schultz. Yeah, so, I thought that. I thought that initially as well, but I was like, yeah, this guy looks a little bit too bulky for that. Yeah. So I have, I have no, I have no idea. Um, I, I looked a little bit at the comments and didn't really see anything. So who, who knows on that? And even though you said this match was longer, the entire video is sixteen minutes, but they actually don't lock up until about halfway through. It's eight right. minutes. Yeah, the video is longer. Before yeah. they do anything. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you compare this to the first one. This is much more the WWF Hogan formula mode. Yes. Ventura is overselling. Um, it, it, you know, it's more comical. It's more over the top. It's it's more playing to the cheap seats with the mannerisms. Both these guys feel more lumbering here in the, than in the first match. Of course, Ventura had his health issues. And Hogan knew he didn't have to do all that much to get over. I thought the body slam on the floor was okay. That might have been like the best move for me here in this match. But this was just the the, the drizzling shits uh, as, as, as a match. It was a lot of just cheap tactics. It was a lot of stalling. It wasn't much of anything. It didn't tell a story, I don't think. The crowd was hot for it. Uh, and the personalities were there. But but I, I gave this an, uh, about a star. Well, okay, so I'd probably go what you did with the first one. I'd probably give this about two and three-quarter stars. Um, oh, so you like this a lot better. Maybe, yeah, maybe three, simply because this is what I grew up with. Um, okay. And imagining my, you know, I went to see a couple house shows when I was a kid. Um, and if I was a kid going to see this match, I probably would be satisfied because you have Mean Gene there, you have Hogan as the victor and, and all that stuff. Um, but you're right. It, it is the typical WWF formula. There's nothing fancy about this match. Mm -hmm. You know, they uh, it, it's a count out victory. Um, so there's not really any definitive ending or anything like that. It is your basic house show match. And, uh, you know, this match is obviously also taken down, I think, because we don't have any commentary to it. Um, who knows, you know, if that would have added anything or not. Uh, but uh, it's just it's interesting to see, uh, you know, these matches back to back and the fact that these guys did face each other uh, on a number of occasions, despite the fact that they will go on to not like each other at all. Um, I got to be honest, though, I, I don't see... If Jesse had been healthy, I don't see him being like a top tier heel opponent for Hogan unless he could have, which we know he probably could have, unless he would have was able to just talk himself or work himself into like some great storyline uh, in terms of in ring work. Mm -hmm. I think Jesse is at best average. Um, you know, he's your basic heel. There's not really anything other than that I can point out and say, well, look at this at what he brought to the table. Jesse was good on the mic. And, you know, he, but he wasn't exactly chiseled out of stone either. And he wasn't a giant, which is what Hogan was fed most of the time was giants, these monsters. Jesse wasn't a monster. He was, you know, uh, uh you know, a military guy and, you know, blonde hair. 
I don't know if it would have worked on a stage like WrestleMania, for example, Leonard. Maybe you yeah. feel differently. What do you think? It, it like you said, I think. I mean, look at Roddy Piper. Not the type of, of typical guy, but he could talk himself into an angle. True. And he did. And and he did that. True. And you look at someone like say Paul Warndorf, who needed Heenan to talk him into the angle. So you know, I I I, I think what you said is the most important thing here. Could they develop a storyline? I don't think any of their matches would have been that great. I mean, we look at the sample that we got, right. and and uh, definitely, I think Jesse's health has a lot to do with that. But yeah. could they have done a program that maybe would run between WrestleManias? Yeah, I think. Um, looking back, maybe he maybe he made events too instead of Bundy in a cage. I think that was a. That you know, a, a late a late call to do Bundy in the cage for WrestleMania two. So that yeah, that would have been interesting. See, it would have been interesting to see the two of them against each other, Mike wise. You know, what would have been the story? Like, could they have built up Ventura to be a threat to somebody like Hogan, mm -hmm. uh, similar to the way Piper was? Um, who knows? Uh, it, it it's. It's a little tough for me to buy into it as a WrestleMania main event, but as you say, maybe it would have been better as like um, as like a, a a more major event at that time. They didn't have yeah, kind of a, like, kind of a filler feud in between yeah. Mania One and Mania Two. You know, kind of like the stuff he did with Orndorff in '86. Right. Yeah. Um, so if you've seen these matches, uh, and you know, I'll post links uh, to these matches in the description of this, and uh, let us know what you think of these matches, and if you have any thoughts on uh, the history of these guys and their feud here. Um, if anybody knows of any other matches out there, please let me know. But I was not able to find anything. I usually have a pretty good uh, track record for finding rare stuff. So um, let me know what you thought. How's it going, everybody? This is the Nitty Gritty. My name is Chad. With me, as usual, is leonard and this week we are actually going to be doing a random match review randy savage versus paul orndorff and we're going to be covering two matches actually and this stemmed from you and i talking about it previously i forget where it got brought up but uh, it was we we did a rebook of halloween havoc 1995 and i booked savage versus orndorff right and we talked about had that happened so I took a look, and on YouTube, there are two matches. So a little bit different tonight. We're going to compare and contrast these two bouts. Um, the first, chronologically, uh, was for the Intercontinental title, June 28, 1986. It was the main event of a house show at the Philadelphia Spectrum. And I believe the video is from the Spectrum's like internal network. Uh, a lot of those, uh, Madison Square Garden, Boston Garden, Especially back in the day, they had their own kind of local channels. And you know what? Uh, Thank goodness yeah. that those existed. Because yes. there's so many gems that we have that we would not have had unless those that footage was going. So so this match, so the video is about 15 minutes long. The match starts at 5.15. The commentators are Gorilla Monsoon and Dick Graham. And then the other match is about 10 years later. It's from uh, it's the main event of WCW Worldwide from September 2nd of 1995. 
the commentary is Tony Schiavone and Bobby Heenan with Nick Patrick as the referee. The whole video here is about 11 minutes, 22 seconds, and uh, the match starts about 2.30. Both are on YouTube. And watching both, I, I and also let me mention first, the heel face dynamics are switched. In the first match, Savage is the heel, Orndorf is the face, Orndorf is the heel, Savage is the face in the second match. Uh, and I was kind of struck about how the layout of the match was the same. You kind of start with brawling and you go outside the ring and you come back in and there's stalling and there's a couple high spot moments and then the ending kind of comes out of nowhere. So the structure of both of these matches are similar. And to me, the big difference is the energy of the first match, the pacing of the first match. Again, they're about 10 years younger. So I like the first match a lot better just because I think the energy and the pacing was there. And I think there was a big difference between their mindsets at the time of, oh, we're main inventing worldwide versus, oh, we're main inventing this house show in Philly and we want to put on uh, you know, a good a good production for the for the people there. So those are just my in, initial uh, impressions of comparing the two. Wow! So that it makes this going to make this uh, episode a lot more interesting because um, I agree with you to a point when it comes to the energy of the first match. When eventually it got into the ring, there was a lot of energy. Um, mm -hmm. WWE now every company does this to a certain degree. The heels do that, like you know you know fleeing the ring stuff and you know but i feel like wwe especially in the 80s the heels did that so much like all the time and in that first match to me it got to that excessive point where like savage just kept leaving the ring and kept running around and like it was like five minutes elapsed or whatever it was before they actually got into the ring and hooked up and by that point, I was just a little bit disappointed. Like, I was like, my God, like, we're wasting so much time. Like, we get it. He runs around and, you know, and like other matches, they run around a couple times. They get back into the ring so that the heel can hit on the face and away they go. Um, you know, it's not supposed to take five, six minutes. <laughs> In this case, it did. I agree. Once it got going, it was very good. Um, you know, I, despite the, you know, you know, the finish, um, you know, I did, they, they did have a lot of energy, but I actually preferred the second match because it was oh. straightforward. Um, honestly, Orndorff was a little bit older as was Savage for that matter. Um, but it was a more clean cut match and there was more of them doing stuff in the ring rather than the shenanigans outside the ring or the crap with elizabeth and uh gosh who was the, who was the i forget the lady that uh paul orndorff had at the beginning of the uh oh um i i even yeah so so i did mention but at the beginning of this video there are two promos and i took the notes on that so the first one is cal rudman interviewing Orndorff, and he has Miss America Suzette Charles with him, who was from Philadelphia. Right, right. And yeah, so, um, you know, so yeah, there was a little bit too much, I don't know, horseplay, you know, gaga before the match got started in that first one. But both guys were much more in their prime then. 
And I would have loved to have seen it go on a little bit longer. It was interesting to me to see Orndorff as the face, which is certainly not his natural, you know, way of being. Even as a face, he was still a heel. Like he still acted very much stuck on himself. Even, even when he, there was that period between the end, like right after WrestleMania one through after WrestleMania two. It was the summer after WrestleMania two when he turned on Hogan. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he does not come across. There's some guys that are naturally a heel and some guys that are naturally a face. Some guys can do both. But yeah, Orndorff was always much better as as a heel. And you know what? He looks like, you know, and I think Hogan mentioned it in his documentary, you know, as far as like, you know, like that Orndorff played football and all this stuff. Like Orndorff looks like one of those cocky jocks. Yeah. That you went to school with. Like, mm-hmm. and like, it's just, you know, so yeah, he naturally kind of comes off, the, you know, that way. Um, and, you know, of course, in the later match, the roles were reversed. He was the heel and Havage, Savage was the face. Um, I mean, you know, that match from a technical standpoint, maybe didn't have as much energy, but I will say I thought it was more clean cut in that way. I certainly liked the commentary a little bit better, despite the fact that I love Gorilla Monsoon, um, you know, he worked with so many different people on these weird shows. <laughs> like, yeah, kind of gave him whoever was around. I feel like, um, you, you know, and I remember I saw this once. Heenan, they asked him this when he was in WCW. His favorite person to work with was Mike Tanay. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Which, yeah, which I probably would have as as, as well. <laughs> Um, I was just looking at some of my notes. Yeah, that second match, I I, I would say I'll, I was disappointed in both. Yeah. Um, I do I did like the first one a little bit better, but the second one I was still surprised by how athletic Savage was because he was still coming off the top and doing those types of things. And Orndorff, there's a few shots where you can really tell he had, I believe it was his right arm. He had atrophy in his right arm because of nerve damage. Yeah. And you can really tell how much smaller his right arm is than the left in some of the, some of the shots in, in, in that match. It would be um, more noticeable when he got his hair cut shorter. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you could tell here. Um, but, yeah, unfortunately, just one of those things, it would get worse visibly. It's uh, interesting that these two matches happened uh, at all. Uh, because you know these guys were, I feel like a lot of times they were heels, you know, or you know. It was a small window, I think, where these matches could could have happened, where one was heel and one was face. Now you can have face face or heel heel matches, uh, but they didn't really do a lot of that during that time period. And when Savage was in WCW, at the same time as Orndorff was, they were on different levels of the card, right? You know, or Orndorff was wrestling lower on the card and was doing a lot of tag work um, as opposed, as opposed to, uh, you know, Savage was higher on the card. Um, And and I don't know. I didn't think to look this up. I wondered what kind of relationship the two had because they were around each other so much. Did they like each other? Did they talk behind the scenes? You know, what was that relationship like? Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where, I don't even know if it may not have even been mentioned in a documentary, but Savage unfortunately left us, you know, too soon. And uh, we didn't get to hear his thoughts about some of the people that he worked with. Um, You know, we know some of the obvious ones, but yeah, uh, uh, yeah, it would have been interesting to, 
it would have been interesting to know more about if Savage was alive today, he would have a podcast. Yeah, I mean, one would think he would have to, right? Or yeah, someone would get their hopefully not Colin Thompson, but someone would get their hooks into him. <laughs> hopefully not Conrad Thompson, and hopefully, and if he did have a podcast, we might finally know the uh, answer to that eternal question that all wrestling fans have rumored about over the years. Um, which will forever stay a rumor, I guess. But uh, in any event, uh, if you have seen either of these matches, let us know what you thought about it. How's it going, everybody? This is the Nitty Gritty. My name is Chad. With me, as usual, is Leonard. This is a show about wrestling, and we are bringing you yet another one of our random match reviews where one of us has sent the other one a random match. And it's usually a rare match or a match that most people have not seen, something you probably won't be able to find on Peacock or the WWE Network, because I know that that still exists in some countries. Um, so these are usually uh, kind of hidden gems type matches. And this time I got to send Leonard the match. And let's just first say what the match is, which is Psycho Sid versus Shawn Michaels versus Brett the Hitman Hart in a triple threat match. This is a dark match. And let's go into the background here. This match takes place... January 31st, 1997. It is for the WWF Championship. Shawn Michaels is a champion at this time. He had just recaptured the title against Sid at the Royal Rumble previously. So that has just happened. And we are about two weeks removed, two weeks away, rather, from uh, a very major event, which is February 13th, 1997, on Thursday, Raw Thursday. HBK would relinquish the title as he had injured his knee and he had lost his smile, Leonard. And we have yes. not our smile on this episode just yet. But uh, yet. that is the kind of framework for this match. Yeah. Well, you, you, you forgot to mention the location. It's in Toronto, Canada. Yep, I was getting there. And uh, oh, sorry. George Chevalo, uh, boxing, Canadian boxing champion, is. Uh, also at ringside, um, which I, which I thought was a nice little uh, extra. He he looks like you ordered Dan Severn off of Wish.com. Yeah. yeah, you know it'd be interesting. You know, having said that, like if this were a straight up boxing match, this guy probably could have uh, handed Dan Severn his ass in his prime. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and Dan's a legit, a legit shooter too. But oh, this yeah. guy, I mean. I mean, we'll get to it. He does throw a punch at one point, and I, I don't know if he pulled it that much. I mean, it was a nice-looking punch. Probably not. And, uh, yeah, he had, he's fought uh, Muhammad Ali, uh, Joe Lewis, among others. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so let's get to the match. We our Earl Hebner is our referee. So I, I should add that, like, they had been doing triple threat matches maybe a few times, a couple times before this, but this is very early on in WWF, WWE doing triple threats. Now, yes, other companies had been doing them before this, but for WWF, this was kind of the infancy of them trying triple threat matches. So let's just go, not, you know, every single move set here, but let's just go a little bit with what, what we see. Um, it starts with HBK pushing Hart, then Sid comes over and slams their head together. Then you see Psycho Sid on offense for a little bit. Um, after that, HBK goes for Sweet Chin Music, but it 
you know, Sid reverses it into a choke slam. Uh, Bret Hart then gets a chance to slam Sid off of the top rope. Uh, we then finally get to Hart and HBK exchanging some blows. Uh, you see Shawn Michaels super kick Sid to the outside. Then you see a period of uh, Shawn Michaels on offense. Uh, Hart does put the sharpshooter on Shawn Michaels, but Sid breaks it up. Um, HBK is kind of swung into the turnbuckle to the outside, and then Sid kind of drops him on the railing, it looks like. And um, there's a clothesline as well. Uh, so there's then a leg drop on Hart from Sid. He does probably the most gentle power bomb I've ever seen Sid give in my entire life. Um, you see then offense from Sid on Shawn Michaels. Then you see Bret Hart take some offense for a while. Uh, Shawn Michaels gets a baseball slide to Sid. Uh, HBK is flipped out of the ring from the corner. Uh, you then see Hart and Sid in the ring together. Bret Hart gets a sharpshooter on Sid. And then you see the climax of the match, which is Stone Cold coming out because this is Stone Cold feuding with Bret Hart. And uh, Leonard had mentioned George Shavalo having a punch and Shavalo gets into the ring and gives Austin a, a pretty good punch to the face. Um, so this distraction um, results in Shawn Michaels doing a crossbody on Bret Hart, who has the sharpshooter on Sid at the same time. And Leonard, I thought that the end of this match was actually pretty creative in that yes. Michaels does the crossbar body to uh, Bret Hart, but and Bret Hart can't kick out because his legs are still tied up in Sid's legs. So Sean gets the quick pin and the victory, and he obviously keeps the title. Um, so with entrances, by the way, this match doesn't start until like, after the seven, eight minute mark, um, some, mm. something like that. Um, so the, the video is like a little over 20 minutes, but, uh, you know, with entrances and stuff, it doesn't really start. So this is a short, tight match, but I mm -hmm. thought for the infancy of triple threats, I thought that this was good. Like you have it starting with Sid kind of manhandling both guys. Like you can divide this match into sections. Really? Everybody gets a segment of their offense in. So in that way, maybe you could say that it's a little bit, uh, you know, it it doesn't really mesh maybe as well as later triple threat matches would. Um, but everybody gets their shit in, as they say. Um, so overall, I thought that this was pretty good for a dark match. If I had gone to like a Raw or whatever and I had seen this match at the end of the night, I, I would have left pretty happy uh, in this era. You know, you see... This was the first time, as far as I know, well, they had done it on house shows, this match, this triple threat match. I mentioned that already. Um, but, you know, as far as, like, we can see it, you know, Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels weren't in the ring together that often. And Bret Hart takes the pin here. So it just makes everything that would happen in 1997 uh, that has gone into wrestling lore, it makes it interesting when you see here in this dark match that Hart was still willing to uh let Shawn michaels pin him even though it was a triple threat scenario so uh yeah i, I thought that this was pretty good i'll reserve my star rating until the uh till the end here of our video but uh leonard what do you think of this you well another thing to mention is that uh, there's no commentary it's silent and yeah. i would guess that brett came up with the finish because he said it was a really creative finish i didn't really 
like the Austin run-in because that just to give Chavello something to do. Yeah. Uh, but it did progress the feud between Hart and, and Austin, but it just gave Chavello something to do. Uh, I would say this is pretty standard from these guys. You know, you have Sid doing the power moves. You got Sean doing his bumping. You got Brett doing his technical stuff. But what I really liked was how they worked the triple threat. Now we talked about triple threat matches before on the show. And a lot of the times, my biggest problem is that one guy gets knocked out and he's laying on the floor dead for, you know, 10 minutes until he comes back in. And here, what I thought was really great, Brett and Sean both do this, especially Sean. They try to get back in the ring and Sid, like, knocks him back to the floor. Yes. Like, they're not just lying dead on the floor. They're trying to get in. Sid's knocking them down. So you don't have anybody staying on the floor for too long of a period or out of the ring too long of a period. And a lot of times in triple threats, you will have the bulk of the match be guy A and guy B because guy C sucks or he's not figured in or whatever. And here, as you said, it feels segmented, but at the same time, you get a nice equal working with of everybody. Sid with Brett, Sid with Sean, Sean and Brett, they all get to work together. Now, one thing that I might like to have seen more of is more spots involving all three guys. But what they did do when it was all three guys did work. And that included the the, the finish. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I really did like this, even though I think it was pretty much what I would expect from these guys. Um, and the fact that it was short makes sense for it being a dark match. Again, I didn't like the Austin in, in, interference, but overall it was really good. But I'm going to guess I'm going lower than you on the star rating. I, I gave it just three stars. Yeah, I'd probably go three and a quarter here. Um, I, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm right there with you though, pretty much I, as far as the, uh, Shivalo Austin thing, you know, I, I guess they had to, you know, I would bet that this was, and this had hearts opinion written all over it. A lot of what you have here, um, you know, you have to soften him up a little bit before the whole, uh, finish of the match. But yeah, I, I could have done without the Austin interference, but you know, we're in Toronto. You have Shivalo get in there and give him a shot. Um, so it is what it is. Um, I'm sure that gave those fans a, a little bit of a thrill. And uh, on the topic of the fans, it's somewhat of a mix mix of reactions for Michaels here. And I guess that's to be expected. But he there is more cheers, at, you know, than there are boos. Well, at the very beginning, before they come out, you can hear Sean sucks chants very loudly. Right. But that does morph to every – all three guys are getting a little little face pop, little heel pop, pop depending yeah. on what they're doing and who they're working with, which I would say is the best-case scenario for this type of situation. Yeah, true, true. Um, and, you know, there are times that Hart gets a really loud reaction, of course, but uh, – Yeah, being candid. Right, absolutely. So, so yeah, I mean, this was a nice little oddity that I came across on uh, one of the wrestling Facebook groups that I'm in. And uh, I took notice to it right away because anytime that you get to see Hart and Michaels in the ring together, it's interesting. And, you know, obviously, as we get move into the spring of 1997, that's when things would heat up between them on air and in the locker room um, and then leading to Survivor Series, obviously, in the fall. Um, so this is like right before a lot of major things start to happen. And uh, so I think that it's an interesting little uh you know, tangent in the road, so to speak. 
Um, and, you know, so very, very fun to watch if, if you're looking for some of that, you know, pre, you know, or, well, I guess during Attitude Era type of stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah kind of on the onset. Uh, yes, yeah. I, we talked about that with our recent SummerSlam 97 review. Kind of the new generation era was was holding on, you know, technically until you got to Survivor Series. But there are trappings of the Attitude Era coming out, you know, throughout most of 97. Right. Um, so, yeah, let us know in the comments if you've seen this match, what you thought of it. Um, and uh, we would love to hear from you. How's it going, everybody? This is the Nitty Gritty. My name is Chad. With me, as usual, is Leonard, and this is a show about wrestling, and we are bringing you another of our random match reviews, and on this occasion, Leonard is the one that sent me the match to view for the first time. Generally, these matches are, you know, unique in nature in some way or rare in some way, um, you know, we not too often, I don't think we do like iconic matches, uh, to review here. Uh, but that's pretty much what we try to do. We try to do matches that the viewers slash listeners probably have not seen. So Leonard selected this one, as I said, and Leonard, why don't you, uh, introduce it for us? So this is a WWF women's title match, uh, between Sherry Martel, who's the champion and Velvet McIntyre. Uh, and the whole video is a little over 18 minutes and it appears to have aired as part of primetime wrestling. Grill Monsoon and Bobby Heenan are on commentary. And from cross-referencing uh, some things on, on cage matches uh, or the internet wrestling database, I found out that this is uh, from October 23rd of 1987 and it's from Paris, France. And that's why I want to talk about it because it's a very different and unique uh, venue and uh, the setup is way different than, than what is, I think, standard for the WWF at the time. Uh, the arena is mostly blacked out. It seems that the walkway is longer, the outside the ring area is longer, and the ring seems a lot bigger. The standard WWF ring is 20 foot by 20 foot. And I'm guessing this is 24 foot by 24 foot, which would be like an old school boxing ring, which would probably make sense for them being in Paris. And it makes, I think, the women look smaller. <laughs> and when they run the ropes or they do a whip, it seems like they're running forever. Right. Uh, so one thing that made me made me laugh is that uh, Velvet McIntyre comes out to Gene Okerlund's version of Rock and Roll Hoochie Coop. I don't know if you picked up on that. Well, yeah, I did because, um, you know, in this era, Rick Derringer, who uh, wrote and performed that song, also wrote and performed uh, Real American, which was yes. Hogan's theme. And uh, so he had a little bit of a, a tie with uh, WWF at, at this time. And, uh, you know, I don't know how often Mr. Derringer ever talked about any of this. Um, you know, he kind of. You know, I don't think you'd go to one of his concerts and see him perform Real American. Um, certainly Rock and Roll Hukuchuku was a mainstream hit, but yes. Yes, yeah. I, I can't say that I read a lot of Rick Derringer interviews, so I was not well, you know uh, what? aware maybe, of that. Maybe, maybe you should start. What do you think about that? <laughs> should. Maybe we can get, get Rick Derringer to come on the show and just talk about his time with the WWF. That would be amazing. That's, you know. <laughs> Uh, so, so anyway, you know, this match is, and I think we, and we've done Sherry matches before. I know we did one with Medusa and, you know, I like 
her matches from this time period because it was different than what other women was doing. And I really felt this match to me kind of had like the NWA style at the time because Sherry's playing this overly cocky heel who becomes a chicken shit heel when she's up against like the fiery fast baby face that Velvet is. Um, and Sherry works the crowd great, I think, throughout this match, and that helps to get, you know, McIntyre more of a face pop. Uh, I was I didn't know a whole lot about Velvet McIntyre. I know the name, uh, but I was really impressed with her her and her moveset here. She's got a one-legged drop kick and a standing drop kick that I thought were both really good. She does a standing drop kick out of a test of strength while she's hooked to Sherry, which I don't think I've seen anyone do before. Um, she does a couple impressive slingshot throws, uh, which I think works because of Sherry's selling. Um, one thing I didn't like, and I don't know if you picked up on this, in sort of the middle of the match, McIntyre goes for from a Boston Crab to a Camel Clutch, but she just grinds Sherry's face into the mat with it, yeah. and then goes to a leg scissors. And it just seemed like she didn't know what to do there. Like, she was just kind of trying to figure out something. But once they got to the leg scissors, that was a really cool sequence because she was so strong that she was picking Sherry up by just the leg scissor and slamming her into the mat. And I don't know if I've seen that before. I think, right. uh, you know, I'm trying to think of, of, of a woman today that would have like really strong legs, like uh, maybe um, Piper Nevin or Charlotte uh, would be another one or even Rhea Ripley maybe. I think I think that's that's a move they could get over and and, and look really cool with. Um, so once they figure out what they were doing with that, I think that works. So uh, fin finish comes when Velvet uh, hits a fine crossbody, but Sherry rolls through it to get on top for the pin. Uh, there were a couple sloppy spots here, but I thought this was a match that was really nice and built well and uh, superior for the time period, uh, throwing the unique setting. I really enjoyed this. I almost went three stars. I went two and three quarter stars on this match. Your thoughts? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, the, the first 10 minutes or so of this match, I thought it was pretty standard overall. Like you had a lot of slingshots and hair pulling and leg flips and, you know, like standard women wrestling move sets that you would see at that time. Like, you know, they, they didn't do a whole lot of unique stuff. However, after that 10, like it, once it got towards the end, the pace really picked up and you mentioned some of the things that we would see uh, from both parties. And I, so I thought that the end of the match um, was, was a lot better than maybe how it started. Um, but uh, I will say that the highlight of the video is uh, Heenan and Monsoon's commentary. <laughs> like they mostly talk about just being in France. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like they clearly recorded this in the studio. Yeah, and we're just having a good time doing it. But uh, but yeah, I, I loved I loved the commentary overall. I thought the match was was fine. Um, you know, you you of course had Sherry go over. Um, so yeah, I I would probably go right in on your two and three quarter star rating for this. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure there are more matches from that tour uh, out there, but this was the one that popped up on my Facebook feed that I watched. And uh, uh, again, this is you know I picked it primarily for this for the setting. And again, you know it, we, you talk you opened. We try to do stuff that is off the beaten path, not the iconic matches. You don't hear a lot about the women's matches from this time period, but but I think that there were 
more than people remember and they were better than people remember. And I think this is an example of it. You know, was it great? No, but it was very competent and certainly wasn't, you know, something heinous like you would see from, you know, Glow, uh, which I think when people think of 80s women's wrestling, that's what they think of. But if you look at stuff that uh, the WWF was doing, and I know the previous match we watched with Sherry and Medusa, I believe it was from the AWA, you know, it's competent. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, these two both obviously knew how to work, and I, I like going back to watch these matches simply to see Sherry as a in-ring talent. I mean, people are obviously most familiar with her as a manager and a valet, um, and rightfully so, as she was great at those things. But, uh, I mean, she was also really, really good at uh, taking bumps, really good at playing the heel in the ring, and uh, it makes it interesting to go back and watch these. Um, and the other note that I had was, you know, that and rightfully so, Heenan and Monsoon both kept referring to the bad referee, who clearly was not one of their usual referees. Like, you could, like, but that's why I love Monsoon and going back and listening to any of his matches because, like, he would call out the referee if they were doing a bad job, and he would call out the talent if they did a move that didn't make sense at that time. And I think at one point, like, it, I don't know if I would necessarily call it a botch. Maybe it was like, I think Velvet McIntyre went for either a punch or like something into the ropes and she didn't get it all. And Monsoon mentioned it these days. Oh my gosh, that would be, you know, sacrilege. If you tried to call out a mistake in a match, you know, they mm -hmm. cover it up and whatnot. Why? Like we have eyes. Yeah. Because you know, in real, in real life and in the other sport, you would mess up, you know, right. The quarterback, in a football game, we'll throw a bad pass. And or Troy Aikman, for example, come out and say, you know, wow, they really shouldn't have done that, you know? Yeah, yeah. All the time, if you're watching, if you're watching the game, they'll say, oh, that yeah, he should have thrown that ball. And in, in the other sport, they would do that too. So the fact that Monsoon is, is calling out those things makes it feel more real and believable. And, and now I think it's just gone so much the, the, the other way. As you said, if someone would call out, oh, you know, they didn't get all that one or not sure what they were doing there or even just something like that, that I'm sure in any of the major federations, uh, they would get called out for it. And it was like, oh, you're making the talent look bad or you're calling out the talent looking bad. No, you're trying to help them look better right. by pointing it out and trying to explain why that did or didn't work. Right, absolutely. Um, and, you know, I, I would definitely say I don't want to make, you know, like WWE into like the total villain in this, you know, like, but they certainly do more of the, you know, got to protect the talent at all times thing. AEW does that sometimes as well. Like if it's a clear, like if it's a clear botch, they will try, if they can think of an excuse that will cover it up, they'll use it. Other times you will hear Excalibur say or whoever say, oh, they must they didn't get all of that. You know, um, that's about as much criticism as you'll hear on the AEW end. Um, you won't hear them, you know, highlight it too much. Uh, but anyway, um, but yeah, this was uh, an interesting match to watch. I remember when I saw the video start and it was 18 minutes, I was like kind of surprised. I was like, wow, an 18 minute match for, you know, but obviously it's. You know, with entrances and the end and stuff, it cuts off time. But uh, yeah, I, I I didn't I didn't time the whole thing, but it's definitely over ten minutes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so if you have seen this match, uh, 
let us know what you thought about it. If you want to comment on either Velvet McIntyre or Sherry, uh, please let us know what you think of this era of women's wrestling. And uh, check out our other videos, such as Stupid Questions, Segment Surgery, What's That Card, our full-length episodes as well. We are also available wherever you listen to podcasts. Hit the like button on our YouTube videos. Subscribe to our content. And thank you very much for checking us out. For Leonard, my name is Chad, and we will see you next time.